Hey everybody, welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. I'm your host, Chad Anderson. Last week, we reviewed X-Men number 26, uh, titled Holocaust, with uh, Regina from the House of X, uh, my co-host Heather, and the talented writer Juan Ponce. Uh, the four boy X-Men, because, you know, Gene got left out last issue, uh, rushed to Central America to stop the ascension of the god Kukul Khan, who had possessed the treasure hunter El Tigre, uh, and they won, but frankly, just barely. It was a close call. Uh, Jean Grey, meanwhile, has been hanging out with uh, a new boy at college uh, named Ted Roberts. Uh, she also just saw that Calvin Rankin has come to her school. That's the uh, the mimic uh, who has lost his memories from his previous fights with the X-Men. Uh, we are thrilled today to be joined by some very special guests. Uh, today, as you each introduce yourselves, let me have you share a little bit about yourselves and what you're working on. Uh, feel free to share your gender pronouns. And then the question I'll ask you as we start today is, uh, tell me some characters who you feel maybe never belonged with the X-Men in the first place, but over time, maybe they grew on you. Uh, so let's begin with, uh, with uh, you, Gabriella. Okay, I'm Gabriella Garbero. I have a blog called The Girl Who Sits, um, where I talk about disability and sometimes pop culture stuff. And I was recently in the special episode about ableism in comics, and I'm really excited to talk about this issue today. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and if I had to answer what who should have never been in the X-Men, I'm going to be a little bit contrarian, and I'm going to say... Professor X. <laughs> because I will say I have a I have an ethical problem with the fact that he started a school basically to create a child army. Um, but that's just me. I know he did a lot of good things. I just I, I questioned his motives just a tad. And then Mike, you want to go next? Hi guys, uh, my name is Mike. Sorry I'm late for the chat. I was very confused with the time zones. <laughs> um, but I'm, uh, I'm, I think some people know me better as excerpts from Instagram and uh, my pronouns are he, him, his. And um, <clears throat> I think to answer the question, uh, I think the character I picked is Hope. I'm not really a fan of that character. Um, I think that, you know, that character started out with a lot of trauma, came in, like, you know, just kind of like a big jerk and challenged everybody when she when she met our regular cast of mutants. And so I'm really not a fan of seeing her on on the team because she takes everything. And it's like and, and that's not just, uh, you know, accounting for the powers that she she mimics, but she also takes narrative um, away from other characters. Um, and like, for example, like the Phoenix Force, you know, things like that. Um, yeah, she just gets a lot of uh, a lot of uh, special panel time that I'm just kind of like, who is this person and why do I need to care about her? Uh, and then you guys, we have a, a very special guest star today who I am thrilled at the opportunity to not only interview, but get to know a little bit. Uh, I'm super honored. Uh, Mr. Uh, Juan Ferreira is here with us today. Juan, welcome. Uh, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your working on and uh, and uh, uh, who do you think never belonged in the X-Men? Okay, uh, hi, I'm Juan Ferreira, it's difficult to say it. I work for Marvel uh, doing comics, drawing them. I do pencils, inks, and colors on them. I'm working right now on Spine-Tingling Spider-Man that appears on uh, the Marvel Unlimited app. 
and it's a part of the Infinity Comics. It's fun to do. Uh, 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 and uh, Hulu, I think, it shouldn't belong in next week comic. Uh, yeah, I'm with Gabriel. I thought uh, Professor X also. Uh, I the thing is that it never grew on me. I still doesn't. <laughs> I'm not uh, really. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think maybe the X Men could do without him, even even if he the X Men needs like someone to take care of them and guide them. But maybe without him, it would be would it be the same. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe I'll draw a comic without. You no. Know, what if if Professor X never existed? Yeah, see what happens. I think uh, I think that's the age of apocalypse. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Ah, okay, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and my name is Chad. I use he/him pronouns. Uh, I think there's a lot of characters who kind of got forced in. Um, we had like Psylocke and Captain Britain kind of added to the mythos. Uh, uh, you know, Betsy Braddock kind of taken from other spaces. Longshot was kind of shoehorned into the team. He's not even a mutant. Uh, and then we've had a number of villains who've been kind of forced on the team over the years, Sabretooth and Juggernaut, and they just were weird fits into the team. Uh, the reason we asked that question is in today's issue, X-Men number 27, uh, we get at first our first new member of the X-Men ever in the mythos. And he's a character a lot of people have forgotten about, but he appears quite frequently in the old books. Now, before we get into the review today, we're going to spend some time uh, talking about uh, Juan's incredible work uh, at Marvel and, and frankly at DC as well. Uh, Juan, I've been a big fan of your work for a long time, uh, and when I reached out to you to come on the podcast, I wasn't necessarily expecting to hear back, but I'm so honored that you're here. I had a chance over the last few weeks to uh, kind of comprehensively read through all of the different work you've done, and you have such a signature art style, uh, so, so beautifully done, particularly with characters uh, with kind of dark uh shadowy space that kind of take up a lot of room and there's a lot of reds and blacks and kind of scary imagery i i'm so impressed by your work uh so to begin can you pitch uh spine tingling spider-man for us a little bit tell us what you're working on currently okay Uh, thanks yes i'm inclined to do more dark characters so i don't know or they hire me because i used to do some some work before DC and, and Marvel did some horror books, one of them called Calder, and it was so people they associate me with horror a lot. And uh, particularly this Spider-Man story that we're doing is a horror story. Uh, Spider-Man has to face a new foe that uh, is not tangible. It uh, attacks Spider-Man while he's sleeping on his dreams. So in the comic, uh, we, we find Peter that he has been having some trouble to, to get in some sleep. He doesn't sleep very well, so he's not as fast as normal. He's not as, he's, he's not as uh, attentive as he, he would like to be. And so he has to try to figure out how to fight uh, this guy that attacks him on, uh, during his, his sleep. Or the better the little sleep he gets, and he gets insomnia and stuff like that. And I don't know the character uh, is introduced slowly, and and we see Spider-Man fighting in the the dream or nightmare realm that this guy habits and habits. So uh, it's a it's a fun to do because I have to I choose to draw two different styles for the comic. Where when we are in the real world, I use just inks and only digital color. And when Peter is on the nightmare, re- nightmare world, 
uh, I use uh, watercolors, pencils, and it's on. It's more uh, artistic or more expressive than uh, the one uh, with the inks and stuff like that. So it's oh. a it's a fun mix to do. How does your process change writing for this infinity line as opposed to a regular standard book? Uh, the the stories are uh, each issue is half as long as a normal a twenty page issue. It's maybe like uh, like it would be like a ten page issue. It has fifty panels per per issue of the something like that. And also with the way we do it, it's all the panels are almost the same size because you can scroll it from up to down on the cell phone or your tablet. So you don't get those widespread uh, panels, like cinematic panels. You, you cannot do that. You can, you, you can do cinematic panels, but from top to down. So the fun thing about that is that you can do Spider-Man climbing a, a big uh, building or going down or things like that swinging. Uh, and that's very Spider-Man. So for him, it works. It's, uh, it's really great I, how much love Marvel is putting into and how much talent Marvel is putting into this Infinity line lately. It makes you want to get on and read. We've we've reviewed some of the comics. Uh, we got to talk about Wiccan and Hulkling a couple weeks ago. There's a lot of really great stuff uh, happening. Now, you got to draw Spider-Man once before, but it was Spider-Man Noir, which is, uh, yes. such, a, which is such a moody, dark book uh, working with uh, Margaret Stoll. Uh, tell us a little bit exactly. uh, about your work there. That was such a great read. Yeah, it was it was really fun to do that because uh, I thought uh, Spider-Man Noir was forgotten, but uh, because of the movie, uh, they brought it, brought him back, and it was really fun to do. It's it's kind of like a mix of Spider-Man and Batman for me. So uh, it's and also to do it black and white, almost all, all everything was black and white. So for that, I tried to changed my style also a little bit and I painted everything on a gray pages using ink and and white colors mostly so and to give it more like a noir feel and things like that and the story that Margaret was telling it was more like an Indiana Jones story that I really like I love Indiana Jones so it was a mix of things that I really loved doing it doing so I had Spider-Man and Indiana Jones and it, 1920 movies, noir style, all mixed up. So it was was really fun. I personally love a villain story. I think my favorite work of yours is uh, the King in Black Thunderbolts uh, three issue arc. You did. Ah, nice. Uh, yes. Seeing characters like seeing characters like Mister Fear, uh, who was so scary in your run, uh, hmm. uh, and, and Taskmaster and Batrock. Uh, what was it like working on that series? I, you clearly put a lot of thought into how you design your art into each each type of story that you're telling. Uh, yes, uh, Thunderbolts was amazing. Uh, I really liked working with Matthew Rosenberg. The the writer was amazing, really fun, really open to new ideas and and trying to uh, come up with uh, new new ways of telling what he was trying to 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 tell. I change a lot of things. When I work with writers, I I change a lot. I add panels, I make double spreads, I do things like that. And most of the writers, they like it. So it's fun. And this story was really fun. I really, I didn't expect to have that much fun when I, when I started on it. Uh, I thought mm, maybe I, I won't like it that much, but it was really, it, it, it surprised me how, how fun it was. It, it felt like maybe like a, I when I was growing up, I read a lot of the 
Justice League uh, uh, International uh, from Maguire and stuff like that. Kevin Maguire, Maguire. And it was kind of like that. It was super fun and it, it felt like that Justice League, but Thunderbolts, but Villains. So it was, it was fun to do. Uh, also, I worked over, the, over the, at DC, I worked doing Suicide Squad and it had a similar feel so yeah those were fun to do well as did uh, uh, as, as did punisher kill crew right you have these or or, or your immortal hurt your immortal hulk book too you have these kind of almost yeah. comedic character moments but they're just there's a you know characters heads on sticks and people getting blown apart and uh, uh it's, it's, it's really it's beautifully fun. done man yeah, I like, I like uh, doing fun parts from time to time. Like fun comics are are, are awesome. Are, I like uh, doing series ones, but also uh, fun parts are really funny. Growing up reading comics, I had a la- laughs all the time. So being able to do it uh, again, to to draw it, to work on it, is is really I love it. It's, it's great. Do you prefer working on uh, limiteds, like you know, three to five issues, or ongoings? Uh, at a, from time to time to do a limited series is fun because you 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 can try different things. But now I I would like to do like a long series with at least twelve issues or something like that because uh, jumping from you know, miniseries to miniseries, uh, kind of you have to restart and and do like change your style or get used to new characters and things like that. And it's and now I would like to do a long series because you don't have to readjust and also the character to grow as uh, when each issue passes you grow with the character also and you get to know better and you you the way you approach him changes a lot and and I love that feeling and also I love to tell uh, a longer story uh, so I, I don't have to uh, switch every time my mind so I could be in in a mood for a long time and and try to to leave an impact on a on a series or in a or in a character. So next time maybe I would love to do a long series. I think people, you know, rush to the store and they get their books and they read it in five minutes and they don't think about the fact that it took you weeks and weeks to draw and create and design these incredible images. How did you get into comics in the first place, Juan? Uh, well, I used to read comics all the time. My dad is an artist. Uh, he actually worked with me on the comics and he taught me how to draw and everything. And, and when I was a kid, uh, he had a, a lot of comics around from European comics and Argentinian comics, things like that. I used to read them all the time. Uh, and then, but when I read my first uh, Superman comic, it was an action comic. I said to myself, when I grow up, I want to work doing these comics working on doing superheroes. So uh, I started to work every day, draw every day when I was in high school or anywhere. And until I found some friends that I also love to do comics, I found a friend that uh, he was a writer and together we put some, uh, we self-published some comics here in Argentina. And that uh, learned a lot doing that. And after maybe eight issues of doing that with my friend, I pitch a comic with another writer from Australia to Image Comics. And we got published over there. It was called Small Gods, and it ran for like 13 issues. It came out uh, around at the same time as uh, The Walking Dead. But one of those two uh, really got like super famous, and the other one 
hours. I didn't. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it should. Have. It was. It was. It, it, it should have happened. It didn't. But too bad. Uh, so so let me, there was let room me for you, just one. Let me ask you. We. Uh, I've seen you do kind of three uh, X Men related books. Since this is an X Men related podcast, you you've drawn Wolverine a fair bit. Yes, uh, both as Wolverine and as Old Man Logan. Uh, yes. Uh, do you have a preference between those two? Uh, in, uh, at the beginning, I loved that. Uh, uh, Wolverine is my favorite X Men by far. Uh, I would love to do. It's my. I think it's my favorite uh, Marvel character. So uh, when they offered me uh, to do Olman Logan, uh, I was yeah nice. I love it, and it was really fun to do. I wish I, I had the opportunity to do more issues. And also my partner uh, over at Green Arrow with DC Comics, he started to they asked him to to write the comic. So I will I the X-Men, the Wolverine comics, so Ben Percy. And I thought maybe he will they would put me with him because we used to work on Green Arrow for so long, but they didn't ask me, so that was a bummer. Uh but no, I would like to draw Wolverine the main series one time. It would be awesome. I would Indeed. love that. You seem, you seem perfectly equipped for Wolverine. You also got to draw a Juggernaut, who's a favorite villain. Yeah, amazing. In, yeah, uh, really in good. Punisher Kill Crew. <laughs> what, tell me about your 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 experience drawing Juggernaut. A Juggernaut, yes. We also it was a surprise because uh, uh, reading him is awesome and seeing him all too. But I thought maybe uh, drawing him it would be it wouldn't be that that fun. But it, in the end, it was really fun because all this amazing stuff that. Uh, Jerry Dugan made me do with him. And also I love that he also has had a little heart. Like every time he, he, he saw the drawings from the kids, he, he started to cry and things like that. Also when he vomited on, on, on what's his name? The, oh, well, I forgot. Is it and Baggy, he started to Baggy vomit. Nelson? And Baggy, ah, uh, yes. And Baggy Nelson, he, he vomited. He was amazing. So <laughs> it was some fun parts. Yeah, to draw vomit is always fun. So. <laughs> so for those who haven't read Punisher Kill Crew, there's a there's a bunch of Asgardian monsters who killed kids, parents on Earth, etc. And Punisher assembles this weird team of people to go after these monsters to get like uh, vengeance for these kids. It's a, it's it's a, that's like a really fun series, actually. Um, do you have a favorite villain, X Men villain? Uh, X Men villain. Uh, let me see. Uh, yeah, I. I love uh, no Magneto. I love Magneto. I don't know. I like the. I'm very classic. Like that's. I think that was my favorite. But sure. <laughs> uh, Gabriella and Mike. Uh, I, I imagine you guys are big fans of uh, Juan's work as well, being big comic fans. Do you guys have questions you'd like to ask Juan today? Gabriella, do you want to go first? Oh, um, sure. I just, I, you know, I've been looking at your Instagram all day. And it's such uh-huh. beautiful work and I love horror. And so I guess, do you, this is, might be like too simplistic of a question, but you said like, it was really interesting for you to draw vomit. Like, <laughs> is there something that you were really challenged by maybe that you had to draw and you were like, how do I even go about this? Like, I'm just curious about how mentally you get your head around what you have to draw and how you should, you know, show it. Uh, yes, the more challenging I think are when I have to draw like crowds of people and I have to draw a lot of people and things like that. 
And it's for, I think for every artist, it's super boring to do mm -hmm. a thousand little faces and things like that. And, and also to, to, for the scene to come out realistically or fun or good, you have to put a lot of work on it. And it's really not that fun. And also, yeah, like doing buildings and things like that. Now that I'm doing Spider-Man, I love architecture and I love having good backgrounds, but it's also a pain in the ass to do them. Yeah. Uh, so it's challenging. Uh, and also what is really challenging is I try to come up with uh, like the extras of the comics, the background people to do, to do them all different, to have a lot of diversity on them. And it's really hard because you have to mentally put your mind into it to, to do different and not do the, the, the typical face or the typical body or the typical person. And you have to spend a lot of mind energy into making different people in the background those are the, the things that are more and also other things that maybe they're not present in the comic the, the reader is not the first thing that they notice but i think uh, on the background on your, on your mind it matters like for to make the, the comic real and, and that you buy it you buy what we are telling uh, those things have to be well done so those are the more challenging for me so like like how about you um, uh, yeah, I can identify with a lot of what you're saying, Juan. I love your work, by the way. Um, I've been a fan for a while Thanks. now, and I love your style. I think that I'm also an illustrator, and uh -huh. um, I, I work in uh, themed entertainment, so I do a lot of concept art. I used to work for Disney Imagineering, so what you're saying nice. about having to draw crowds, having to draw, like, you know, large, large, a lot of people and large buildings, just the, the yes. setting is a pain in the ass. And, um, but you know, you got to convey the environment. I, I'm more of a character illustrator myself, so I especially find it a pain in the butt to have to draw <laughs> backgrounds and, um, and a lot of people and have to draw them realistically is also um, not one of my favorite things to do. But I was wondering, one of the reasons why I have never gotten into comic books is, or drawn for comics is that I always told myself that I never wanted to draw. Um, spider-man's uh costume over and over and over again for like how many panels for 24 pages and i just <laughs> commend you on the fact that you can replicate that that you know costume over and over and over again and i was wondering like as an as an illustrator i myself find it hard to maintain a consistent style when i draw something on monday and then i have to like come back to it on wednesday and like next thing i know my, my drawing style is totally different do you ever find that you have that problem and how do you maintain yes. consistency? I have it. I have that problem. I from one week for the beginning of the week until the end of the week, I want to change my style or change some stuff. And after a lot of years, I just say to myself, fuck it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't mind. Like if, if it changes, it changes. I don't know. Well, I remember reading comics, uh, when I was reading comics, I love to see how the artist evolved or change or the same character that was drawing at the beginning of the story was had a, like a, 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 a one face but 20 issues later he had a it changed into something new uh, or evolved and I, I love that so that was part of the process of the artist so i think and now i i know that if i do that uh, there are some people that uh, complain about it but uh, I don't know if I feel that I'm, I'm having fun, I do it. And also I had the same problem before doing Spider-Man. I thought that drawing his costume for 20 pages will be difficult. 
And I really thought that I'm doing all the waves and things like that. But at the end, but now I think it's not that that problematic. It's like, it's, it's fun. I thought I thought it was going, was going to be more difficult, but it's it's not that difficult. Yeah, used I, to it. I think we exist in a in a in an industry too where you could do everything perfect, and everybody says, "Hey, good job." But if you make one mistake, everybody's on you. <laughs> yeah, of course. They, they Perception is real. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. creating this whole fictional world with people. It must also be a challenge, Juan, to adapt your style to different creators. I know, I know it's a collaborative process if you're working with, you know, Ben Percy or Margaret Stoll or or, or Jerry Dugan. There's there's these different uh different styles of scripting that come in. Is that is that a challenge at times to try to switch from one person to another? Uh, it depends on no, I, it's not that challenging now. Maybe because I work with so many different writers now, I got used to it. Uh, so no, no, no. I think if maybe if, what is challenging is when I get a script that I don't like. That it doesn't happen that much, and and I don't like what I'm reading, and I don't buy it. And so when I have to put it on a page, is the energy is not the same. I have to f- try to find the energy to complete the page from something else. And so sometimes uh, when it's more challenging, when, it's, when a writer is, they leave you more room to create. That's fun because you, you can do come up with uh, fight scenes or car chasings or new ways to tell a particular scene. And that f- takes you more time because you have to come up with uh, a way to do it and not read it panel by panel or detail by detail and but i love it i love to 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 give a little more than just being a monkey uh, yeah, yeah. artist i uh, i've written comic books and a couple books before so i, I do art in a different way and it uh-huh. can be it can be really challenging to make yourself fall in love with characters especially villains over and over again and you have to kind of bring that same passion to the work um, I posted in the chat uh, for for uh, Mike and Gabrielle, if you want to look in there, I posted an image one did of Wolverine that's just fucking beautiful. Uh, it really I, is. I really want to see you on a Wolverine book. That's such an it's incredible, yeah. such an incredible art. Uh, art in style. the brown outfit, too. I love it. Uh, let me see. So uh, I, seen it. I believe it was an alternate cover that you did. Uh, ah, yes. The one with the with his claws uh, out. Yeah like that yes yeah, yeah. it was fun i love so good I doing so good uh i can't wait to see what comes next from you i uh i i i'm a big fan for a long time but when i get to know the people behind stuff it just it it, it adds such a different depth to appreciating the work that's in front of us uh so with that let's jump into um X-Men number uh, 27 today, which is, uh, if you guys haven't read the 60s comics before, I think all of you may be a little bit new. They're very word dense. There's a lot of bubbles per page. <laughs> it can be a lot to get through, especially when there's a lot of problems. Now, uh, we, uh, we're we reviewing X-Men number 27, which is uh, it called Re-Enter the Mimic, which tends to mean he was entered at least once before. Uh, we <laughs> I think we have to just toss that joke out at least once at the beginning. Now, this book came out in December 1966. It's written by Roy Thomas, uh, who has started really introducing a lot of subplots in the X-Men. It's the, the plots are going on for several issues, sometimes even into a year. There's a 
a, a big stylistic shift from what Stan and Jack were doing previously. The art here is by Werner Roth, the inks by Dick Ayers, uh, letters by Sam Rosen and Artie Simek. And let's begin by just talking about our reactions to the cover of this book. Uh, you'll notice right away, Angel is missing. He was wounded in the last issue. Uh, and so we have uh, Mimic jumping in with full wings, uh, attacking the four X-Men. We've got Iceman, Cyclops, Gene, and, and Beast doing their best to fight back. What were some of your thoughts as artists or storytellers or fans on, on this, uh, this cover? Well, I can say that, uh, you know, I thought this cover was pretty dynamic for its time. I'm a real big fan of uh, um, comic book art from 1940s to 1960s. I really love that as those aesthetics. And, um, you know, the mimic is I don't I'm not too familiar with his earlier appearances. I'm more um, familiar with his with his more recent stuff and his cameos. So like this is a completely different character than what I'm used to. He's. I mean, uh, the, his uh, appearance on the cover here, he's pretty aggressive and um, he continues that throughout the entire issue. So kind of getting to know like this character's vibe, um, you know, starting with the with the front cover. Mimic is a character that we see later they will reveal is bipolar. And you can clearly see it in these early issues. He has a lot of mania, like very huge anger outbursts and kind of a power complex, but then he'll have these big depressive spells. And that's kind of a recurring arc for him in future appearances. Uh, Gabriella, what did you think? Yeah, I was just going to say, I haven't really necessarily looked intensely as an artist at a lot of comment covers, but he seems really like scary. Like his wings are very dark and I'm used to, you know, bright white wings or at least brownish, not you know black with brown around the edges and he seems just very like an overwhelming kind of foe and I love the little professor x at the top he looks very stressed out very <laughs> upset at what's going on and um I, yeah I just think it's really effective and you know I like I like it I, I I'm not an artist so I don't necessarily have the vocabulary to explain why but yeah, it's very, very intimidating. I would definitely want to read it if I saw it on the shelf somewhere. Uh, what is Bobby did, holding? Uh, he's holding an ice uh, pole that he generated. He likes to make ice things out of ice, so he's holding an ice pole. Uh, Juan, did you have some uh, opinions on the cover of this issue? Uh, I kind of, uh, I opened it on, let me see, because I read it on the on the app. I'm trying to find yeah, and it. I, I can hold it up here too if it's helpful. And the and the cover is, I saw it very small, but it, I think it was fun. Yeah, it, it's a fun, it's a fun cover. We'll like notice, it. we'll notice a costume change. This is the first time Gina switched her mask out a couple times, but this is the first time they're in their new costumes, which is a continuity point in the book. Um, yeah. uh, Mimic's costume is just god awful, though. That big giant M on the on the chest, the orange, red, and brown color combination. <laughs> Uh, he's, he's got a terrible, terrible costume design. Uh, uh, do you have a, a, a favorite character off the cover, Juan? Oh, uh, that cover, uh, from the cover? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let me see. No, I, I like the pose from, from the mimic. I like how, I like he, that he has the, the big feet, like the beast. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. Uh, I like the, the little... All the ice breaking 
around. And yeah, it's fun. I don't like the big uh, re-enter the mimic thing, the block, the, the text over there. Yeah, it's a little abrasive. It's just, yeah, it's, it cuts from the action and everything. So I, I wouldn't have it there, but uh, the rest is, I don't know, it's, it's okay for, for, the, for those years, I guess. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun to see Iceman a little bit prominent here, right? He's got the big giant ice shield, oh, yeah. ice pole. Uh, it's fun to see him using his powers more and more. Of course, we learn a lot later. He's in a mega mutant, right? He's incredibly powerful. But in the early books, he just doesn't get to shine all that often. Now, as we begin the book, uh, we uh, we have uh, kind of a, a trope that's used later in comics quite frequently, where we kind of start in the middle of the action, and it lasts for a couple of yeah. pages. And then we go back to the beginning on page like five or six, and they kind of show us how the heroes got there. So the mimic is in the X-Men mansion and he is attacking the team in kind of a training exercise. Uh, again, last issue, we saw Jean kind of run into him at college and he didn't remember her. So this is kind of a shocking beginning for readers back then. Uh, there's a there's a big uh, fight scene with Professor X kind of instructing the X-Men to fight the mimic and he's using their own powers against them uh, rather effectively, frankly. What were some of your thoughts on this initial scene as the mimic is kind of frankly humiliating uh, the X-Men, except for the angel who is uh, who's wounded right now? Do you guys have any favorite moments from this fight? I thought it was kind of ironic at the end when I'm trying to find the dialogue. Hold on. He said, like, so my thing, I noticed like a lot of just like casual misogyny with gene in this issue that i really wasn't expecting but i love how he just beats the crap out of everybody and then he goes over to gene and just makes her fall asleep and as he's walking up to her professor x is like no 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 you promised you wouldn't harm anyone meanwhile every single person is unconscious on the floor having been beaten down and he's like no don't make her go to sleep you promised it's like what <laughs> so that's what, that's one thing that i noticed that i thought was really funny and also just the choice to make her go to sleep like why didn't you just do that with everybody it would have been less effort i don't know well you kind of forget until the end of the fight that he ha he has professor x's powers too you uh yeah. forget he has oh, yeah. there's there's a lot of kind of funny hijinks beast slips on Iceman's ice on accident and uh gene tries to drop a pot on mimic's head but he just shoots it off with his optic blast uh, we see Iceman up on a chandelier using a cane to kind of keep himself from falling. Um, it's a, it's kind of a silly kind of slapstick, almost Three Stooges kind of battle. If you guys are familiar with the Three Stooges, I want to hear those sound effects in the background. Doing, 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 you know, like it's all rather it's all rather silly, but kind of amazing at the same time. Uh, uh, Juan and Mike, any thoughts from you on this initial fight scene? Uh... Yeah, there was a lot of talking around, a lot of balloons. I, I, I every time I see it from the artist's point of view, and I see, and I'm thinking all the. I don't know if if the artist was thinking about leaving some so many space for the balloons, and I think maybe Stan or or Roy came out later and put the balloons on 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 it, but. It, from from the letter point of view, it has to be a pain of the ass to to <laughs> to write so many word balloons around, and instead of letting the action talk for himself, yeah, the uh, Marvel used to do that all the time. 
Yeah, the to, old Marvel to, style is they would do a, like a loose script. The artist would yes. interpret the script into art. Then they'd come back and add the word balloons later. And exactly. yeah, those those letterers had to not only do the word balloons, but also the sound effects and color them in, yeah. like the big giant kaplangs and you know all the all the all the giant sound effects. Um, yeah, instead of seeing a character land in the garbage, if they land in the garbage, they're they're giving you some word <laughs> yeah. bubbles about how they landed in the garbage. <laughs> it's, yes. it's, uh, everything's very over-explained. Uh, Mike, how about exactly. you? Any thoughts about this? Um, yeah, so this fight was pretty action-packed. And just to build on to Juan's point about like the, you know, how verbose it is, there's just a lot of dialogue. And I just wonder if it was just a, like an editorial mandate to fill each panel with um, with as much you know text as possible or if it was just the style of time um, but you know the the word bubbles themselves become a part of the panel artwork in a way because they have to be positioned around the characters so that they don't you know take up too much of the visual points of interest um, so even though they're they're uh, crammed in there. They're all placed pretty strategically, which I which I appreciate because sometimes, you know, you get those panels where like, you know, it's three quarters word bubble and then you've got someone's like head from face. like, you know. Yeah, face. Um, so Why yeah, it, it makes it a little bit hard. There's a lot of exposition as is common for that time period, which, you know, I guess maybe we, you know, the benefit of reading comics now in this day and age is that we've built up like this, um, this kind of like language and understanding of action and action as it's represented in sequential storytelling. Whereas back then it was must have been, you know, I'm thinking it might be still kind of new to people. So there needs to be more telling rather than showing um, more explanation yeah. needed um, because these are yeah, exactly. new ideas, like, you know, using magnetism as a plot device, you know, yeah, yeah. you gotta explain it all away and hand wave it away. So. Um, you can't really do that with visuals because they didn't have the luxury of, you know, the built history that we have now um, yeah. that we all share. But, you know, I commend them for, you know, getting the narrative across in the best way they could at the time. Now, two things to note quickly. The costume design here has changed. It's not a huge difference, but before the yellow in their costumes would come all the way out to their shoulders. And now it's kind of streamlined into the center of their chest. So we'll learn in a few minutes, Jean has redesigned the costume because she was quote, tired of all the yellow, which is actually a good thing. Yeah. I think it's a positive change because those old blocking costumes can get a little abrasive sometimes. Um, a, a lot of people who have only read the modern books and not the sixties are genuinely really surprised, particularly by how Beast and Jean are portrayed. They're used to Beast being blue and furry and Jean's like this powerhouse surrounded by pink telekinesis all the time, right? Or the Phoenix Force. And here Jean's kind of frail sometimes and uh, and teased a lot for being a girl. Beast is not blue. He's bouncing around all the time. Uh, a lot of people know somewhere in their mind that these characters were originally portrayed that way. But but for the three of you, were there, were there like moments of like, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting this uh, as these characters were portrayed differently? Uh, I, no. Well, you. Gabriel. Sorry, I was going to let you go first if you wanted to. No, no, I think I, uh, I knew the characters, so it's not surprised, but I, yes, I was uh, surprised by the change of, of costumes because, uh, yes, later we, we see them with the yellow, the whole yellow thing and blue, and at the beginning, that actually is later, uh, they have... Uh, yeah, like half of the chest is 
is yellow and the other side is blue and things like that. Well, it's, it's what I was saying that I love, um, what I love about the comics that they, in series, a long series, you can change a lot and evolve and make them better. And then also in the future, they change Beast and they change all the characters and they keep adding X-Men and X-Men and X-Men and X-Men. So uh, that's one of the things that I love about comics, like the ability that you can start with something and it can evolve and change and become something better or not. But the, uh, it changes. At the same time, it doesn't change that much also. Uh, right. in comics but uh, uh it has uh, room to to improvement all the time i love that my 10 year old is kind of a budding artist and he'll he'll read over my shoulder and look at some of these designs He's like what were they thinking like look at that costume <laughs> yeah. it's terrible uh gabriella what were you going to say a moment ago yeah i was just you know i knew that that beast and gene were like that in the beginning and even Iceman, like I said in the ableism episode, but I'm much more accustomed to the movies than I am to the comics. And I knew that, I kind of knew that they were all going to look like that and be different than what I expected. Um, I was pretty, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I was pretty disappointed with Jean being so depowered just because even if, you know, she wasn't, you know, the Phoenix like she is later on, she still has telekinesis. And I feel like there's a lot that she could, do that's that's a pretty awesome power to have especially when you're in a battle you could throw stuff at him you know and i i feel i feel disappointed but i mean it is kind of a product of its time and i think one thing i do love that they did to jean is right after that scene they go to her at college and she spends so much time looking at this dude that she has a crush on that she watches him play legitimately three four different sports no three three different sports and then she's like oh i've been watching you this whole time like it just it was so funny like i don't know it just it really got me it reminded me of myself in college because i would have done that um in the in the earlier issues gene is often relegated to the background literally sometimes she's the nurse or the or the cook or the maid uh, yeah. uh and she could do so much more it's just it's not even like a it's not even like she doesn't have enough powers like she has powers she just doesn't seem to use them and then at the very beginning it's very subtle but she says like oh no I didn't catch him in time I guess it was really bad that I've been away at college like <laughs> just casually like oh no I shouldn't be in school educating myself or anything I should just be here helping out these guys who clearly are you know outmatched like it just was weird her going to college is kind of her first solo storyline, which is uh, which is interesting because she still is just the love interest for a while. But we do get to see more from her in the near future. Now, the mimic, as he finishes this fight, he's been very brutal toward the X-Men. He leaves them very defeated. He says, and I quote, I took on the whole lot of them with their own superpowers and I made him say, uncle, from now on, nobody and no, excuse me, nothing and nobody in the world will stop the mimic, which he's, we're going to learn in a minute, he's trying to join the team, but he's like very much in this superiority space, clearly uh, very narcissistic. Now we switch back to earlier now, we, we leave the fight scene and we go back to earlier when the X-Men have just returned from their mission in uh, San Rico where they fought Kukulkan and El Tigre. Uh, now at the end of the last issue, Cyclops accidentally wounded Angel 
But Angel accused Cyclops of hurting him on purpose because they both have feelings for Jean. And so that's kind of where we step into here. Cyclops is really questioning his leadership abilities here. Angel's hurt. We learned from Professor X shortly that the tendons and ligaments that support his wings are in danger and he desperately needs bed rest. Otherwise, he may never be able to fly again, which is all sorts of drama, of course. Uh, but, you know, as readers, we want to see our characters get injured and have obstacles to rise above. So seeing one of the one of the characters in a in a bed recovering is jarring, particularly for uh, for teenage readers back then. Uh, the X-Men have all kinds of interactions as they're trying to figure things out. Professor X is trying to update Cerebro. He can sense another threat is coming soon. Everybody's very worried. And Cyclops is putting a lot of pressure on himself to be okay. Uh, some of your thoughts on the interactions of the, the team here. I thought it was, they're pretty funny actually when they interact together. This is my first time actually reading them as teenagers and like looking past all the misogyny and you know the sexism that's rampant in this period. Um, I'm still seeing the narrative explain them as just like these kids that are still trying to find their way. And, you know, like in, in the scene where Professor is just kind of like, all right, I got shit to do. Oh, I'm sorry for swearing. I got stuff to do. And, uh, you know, um, why don't you guys go off? You can your... swear. It's OK. Oh, right on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so but he was like, well, you know, rest of the afternoon, take the afternoon off, do your own thing. And like Iceman is kind of, you know, he reminds me of me when when people are like school's done. You can just like, you know, hang out now. I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. I'd, I'd much rather just, you know, fuck off and like not worry about what I'm supposed to be studying right now. And Hank, surprisingly, is also the same way. I mean, as pretentious as he is with his, you know, with his <laughs> the way he talks, he's still just like, hell yeah, I'm out of here. I'm with you. The uh, the idea of Professor X being like, I'm busy. You all get a few hours off. And they're like, woohoo. He's just, a, he's such an yeah. asshole to them back then. He's like an <laughs> admin lead or something. He's definitely managing their time a lot. And uh, I'm really glad that Jean gets her space away from the boys and gets to uh, be like her own um, entity outside of, um, you know, just the, the, the object of everyone's affection in this comic because I do see like a little bit of um, her own awareness of like strength and lack of and the things that distract her. So, I mean, I've always just, I've heard through these conversations about how, how like Jean is like, you know, definitely just like um, a, a sort of plot device a lot of times. So it's kind of nice to see her actually exhibit a little bit of thought if not as much agency as we want her to have. So we then shift over to Metro College. Jean is playing full cheerleader, supportive girlfriend for Mr. Ted Roberts, who as an old bit character, we're not going to talk about him a ton still because he's got several issues left within the X-Men, but she's watching him run track. She's watching him pole vault. She's watching him play or, or swim. Uh, she's cheering him on. And she asks him, why do you put so much pressure on himself? And we finally get a little bit of character. He he says, you're the first girl who's ever taken time to notice how much pressure I put on myself. Uh, and he starts to open up to her about an older brother named Ralph, who we're not going to meet for a while, but he will come in. And he's a supervillain, no surprise. The X-Men are all soap opera all the time. Uh, but before they can get too far, there's an explosion on campus. Mimic has been uh, toying with some machines and, uh, and has wound up kind of hurting himself which jars his memories. Now, the last time the X-Men fought the Mimic, Professor X kind of wiped his mind. Uh, <laughs> and he he was hurt in the machine, lost his powers. He doesn't know that he has powers anymore, but 
he's starting to remember everything that happened to him. So uh, let's talk about these 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 scenes at Metro College. Gene with Ted Roberts, uh, mimic kind of uh, or Calvin, I mean, uh, running out from this explosion. Uh, did you guys enjoy these scenes, Gabriela? You told us a little bit about your thoughts about Gene here. Yeah, I well, I of course I still have more. Um, I actually. I don't have a problem with what she was doing or the fact that they only showed her like pursuing a guy because it seems like that's kind of all that Cyclops was thinking about too while they were battling. So I don't necessarily have a problem with her being portrayed this way. Um, I did think it was really sad at the top of page seven, I think um, she says like, wow, you know, being here, I really like it. Maybe I'm not cut out to be a superhero. And I just think like, man, it was so limiting for people back then, especially women, like she's at school, so she can't, you know, I, I don't know. It just, it, it, this whole part just kind of made me like happy for her, but kind of sad for the time that women had to be so one dimensional because why not pursue him and then go save the world? I think that's I think that would be really empowering. And I know women get there eventually, but I wish it was like that back then where she didn't really have to choose between what she was doing. Well, we get to see Jean doing here what a lot of the male students only get to do, or the male characters, is she has a secret identity. She's yeah. got a love interest and she's not telling him that she has powers, which is something we see Spider-Man do for years and years and years, right? Or the male X-Men even do. So it's kind of cool to see uh, to see Jean in, in uh, those shoes. Uh, Juan, are you a Jean Grey fan? Uh, actually, no, <laughs> not as much. <laughs> Do you like her with Wolverine? I know he's your favorite. Uh, no, I don't like her. I like Wolverine alone, or maybe with, <laughs> a, with a, a not an X Men with a girl, no, no, a girl, a different girl. I don't know. Yeah, totally yeah. understood. Now, with, do you like drawing sequentials like this? You know, we look at something like page seven, and there's seven panels of just kind of talking heads, characters in like a different scene in every panel, but there's a, there's a lot of character development. Is that is that a challenge for you to draw or do you enjoy having scenes or breaks like that from the action? Uh, no, I enjoy drawing them. If And if the dialogue is fun, uh, it's, it's good to, to do it from time to time. Uh, I like when there's some, act, uh, you can do some acting and things like that. Uh, it's fun uh, to break from the uh, all the action. So sure. no, it's, it's interesting. So I like it. When you I care like about it. your characters, it makes the action more fun too, right? When they when yeah. they risk, you want to care about them too. Now, yeah, two, exactly. two years prior to the publication of this issue, Fantastic Four number 28 came out. So I'm, I'll review this very quickly. Stanley and Jack Kirby's run in the early Fantastic Four is one of my favorite things of all time. It's so ridiculous and so wonderful. But the Fantastic Four met the X-Men for the first time in that issue. There's a character uh -huh. named the Puppet Master who has radioactive clay from a magic mountain. And when he forms a doll out of that clay, he can control you. And so in this issue, he's working with another character named the Mad Thinker who has like super science predictive powers and he designs robots. And the Mad Thinker has determined that the leader of the X-Men is Professor X. So the Puppet Master creates a doll of Professor X and then forces Professor X to command the X-Men to go fight the Fantastic Four. And the battle between them is just ridiculous. We get to see Gene pick the thing up in the air and just spin him around real fast. Uh, the Iceman forms like uh, like an icy shield over over Thing's face, and then like blocks on his feet. It's the whole the whole battle is kind of ridiculous. Uh, in the end, 
the X-Men and Fantastic Four end up as friends and uh, Professor X is broken away from the Puppet Master's control. Uh, now, the reason that's relevant to this issue is we have the Puppet Master coming back for revenge. So on page eight, we see the Puppet Master trying to remake his Professor X doll. And that image of him carving in the clay, it just looks so uncomfortable. It's like a big penis. <laughs> yeah. it's, a <laughs> it's a terrible angle. Uh, but he finds that Professor X is beyond his control. He's telepathically blocked himself. Uh, the Puppet Master is one of my favorite Marvel villains of all time. He's so ridiculously 60s camp. Uh, I love him very much. He's this short little bald man who controls people through uh, through radioactive clay figurines. Uh, are you guys, are, are any of you familiar with this character prior to this issue? I was not. No. To... I was oh, not. sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, yeah, I was not. Actually, uh, I, the, the problem is, uh, yeah, no, I, I, the, the all the other this is my first time reading a, like an early x-men comic so yeah I'm, i wasn't familiar with a, a lot of stuff sure but but yes mike uh, how about you it looks it looks fun He's a great <laughs> yeah same thing i did not know who this was although you know you you kind of clued me in earlier uh when we were chatting about the fantastic four issue so i had to go read that real quick um and i just i just it's it's just the this guy kind of reminds me of um, the artist profession or the designer profession in a way because like there's a scene in that in the Fantastic Four comic where the Mad Thinker's like looking over his shoulder as he's sculpting his thing and he's like faster work faster make it better make it better and I'm just like oh my god this is like freelancing mm. this is exactly <laughs> what freelancers go through so um, I would I would hate to be the Mad Thinker I mean to be the uh, the sculptor guy if um, or puppet master puppet master if, if uh, if I had to be, if I had to choose a villain in, in the Marvel universe, because that's that just sounds like he's a he's a you know a freelancer in in the theme and entertainment industry. The thing that makes him the most famous or most memorable, if you guys read the current Fantastic Four run, the thing is married to Alicia Masters, who is his blind girlfriend for decades before they marry. Uh, the Puppet Master is her stepfather. So he has some ties to kind of the Things family tree. His name is Philip Masters and her name is Alicia Masters. Uh, so there's some ties there. There's some really creepy stories with him in the future. There's, an, there's a run in Ms. Marvel where the puppet master has created images of a bunch of female superheroes and he's oh, no. selling them off to men. And it's a really creepy, like misogynistic run. Uh, and of course he gets his ass kicked, right? But there's, a, there's some really scary stories with him at points in the future, but it's really fun to see Fantastic Four villains in an X-Men book. It reminds you that this is kind of a shared universe, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, the Puppet Master is very frustrated that his control over Professor X is not working. Uh, and so he has to come up with a backup plan. He's a... Uh, He's using some weird television screens that he has. I don't know how he has monitoring capabilities, but he's watching some of the X-Men and figuring out what to do. And uh, ultimately comes up with the plan of controlling the mimic instead, which is where we'll get into kind of the meat of the issue in a few minutes. Now, in the meantime, Professor X is tinkering with Cerebro and he's trying to look for new mutant threats that exist out there. He's updating Cerebro constantly back in the early days before we get the movie version of the giant telepathic room that he sits in, right? It's this old clunky machine that screams whenever it sees or hears a senses a mutant. Uh, and Professor X is projecting himself around the world astrally to try to look for help because he senses a major threat is coming after them, right? Someone's trying to invade his mind. Cerebro's freaking out. 
we have uh, several scenes where he's just kind of running around trying to find some help here in his astral form. Uh, Gabriella, do you want to take the next few pages and kind of tell us what happens? Yes, I do. Um, he so he astrally projects um, because he wants to find more X Men, as Chad said, and he does it. So I'm going to talk about my problems after I say the plot, but basically he goes to Pietro and Wanda, um, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Who we haven't seen since they quit the Brotherhood, like quite a while ago. They haven't been in the book for a long time. Yeah, well, I was really excited to see them. I really like Wanda. But um, so he invites them to be part of the X-Men and they basically say, no, we really prefer to be Avengers. Um, And then it cuts away to Hank and Bobby. It took me forever to realize that was Bobby because he wasn't in his Iceman form. Um, But they're on a very fancy date uh, to a hot dog stand, um, a double date with their respective girlfriends who both seem weirdly resentful of them for reasons that I'm sure are frustrating. Um, (laughs) And they encounter a bank robbery and when they go to try to catch the guy down the alley, um, they run into Spider-Man and then they hear Professor X's like psychic communication saying to ask Spider-Man and Spider-Man says, haha, no, I don't like being this. I wouldn't like being part of this team. Um, and I'm not going to lie. This is the first time I realized how young the X-Men were because they talk like they're 65 year old adults and spider-man does not like i was i when i was first reading this i was going to make a joke about how like in in modern language like they're talking like i do and he's talking like a zoomer but they're the same age and he at the end he says like maybe it would be cool to join a group of people my age but they're all they they do not seem like they're the same age um and yeah and then he swings away and uh, they go back and then they get dumped. That's that chunk of story. And I have notes. I have a lot of problems. <laughs> Let's hear your notes. <laughs> okay. So first of all, Professor X, when he's like, I'm going to go into seclusion, everybody else go away. Um, he changes. Is that his walking suit? Yeah, he literally puts on a suit to go ask for project. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this skill of astral projection was misused a lot. I have a huge problem with it because he basically, so when he appears to Pietro and Wanda, he just appears as a head and he doesn't appear at all to Bobby and Hank. He just shows up in the, with his voice. So what was the point of astrally projecting? He didn't do anything. <laughs> it's still a silly way to make him walk for no reason. And I have problems with that. Um, which if you watch the ableism episode, I talk about it. Um, but basically I feel frustrated. And what I wish they would have done with his astral projection is I wish he would have used his astral projection in the first scene that's in the future to fight because we don't know if Mimic can mimic the astral projections abilities. And I think that would be cool for him to look normal and then have Mimic be like, wait, why can't I have your power? And he's like, because I'm not really there. I wish it was written that way instead of him 
astral projecting for no reason because it seems like he can psychically communicate with whoever he wants without actually projecting. And also seems a little weird for him to show up to Bobby and Hank just to tell them something to do when he could just do it. I don't know. Yeah, he could have just, just talked to Spider-Man in his brain. Yeah, like why did he not just do that? He just did it to Wanda and Pietro. I don't know. Maybe, you know what though? Maybe he just didn't want to deal with Spider-Man's sarcasm. Because Spider-Man has a lot of sass in that scene. And I feel like if I was an older man, I wouldn't want to talk to Spider-Man because he would irritate me. Now, Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch have joined the Avengers. They're on a break here because their powers were waning. Uh, but we get to see them kind of practicing. Quicksilver is running after Wanda. Wanda's falconing, which is kind of cool. She's got a big glove on. She's tossing a falcon around, which is kind of amazing. But they don't want to be part of it. They're like, nope, no, thank you. We're uh, we're with the Avengers now. Good luck. Uh, which I don't blame them. <laughs> um, and then we get this scene with, uh, with Beast and Iceman and their girlfriends, uh, which... Beast uh, Beast is dating Vera Cantor. Iceman is dating uh, Zelda Dubois. They're both some of our very favorites from the 60s, and they just put up with no nonsense. Uh, they're going out for big hot dogs, and Beast is trying so hard to impress Vera, and she's just not impressed. <laughs> she's trying to challenge him on why he's always running away. And then 10 seconds later, of course, he's running away. Uh, <laughs> Gabriella, you're the only woman here today. Did you enjoy these two women characters? I did. I wish they were Jean. Um, I, I also, I really like the fact that the girl who's with Bob, is her name Zelda, who's with Bobby? Yeah. She, she, he was like, oh man, I left my wallet. Like he did the thing that people do when they don't want to pay where they like felt around their pockets, you know, like, oh shoot. I, I don't know. I don't man. There must be a hole at the bottom of the pocket. I don't know what happened. And she's like, yeah, that's okay. I always bring money whenever I go out with you. Like, I just, <laughs> it's such a diss, um, especially back then. And then um, uh, Hank's date, she just looked completely pissed at him from moment one. From the first panel she's in, she's like, whatever, dude. I'm like, I'm like, I have one foot out the door at this exact moment. Like, I'm I am done dating you. I'm not interested in whatever you have to say. You disappear all the time. And then they get one panel at the end where they both get dumped. And then that's it. Then the whole scene ends, which I just love. I feel like they were probably just sitting there together, like, where the hell did they just go? Like there was just a bank robbery and they both disappeared. That's weird, right? Like, what what the hell is happening? That's weird. And then not, like, only, they, not only that, but this is like the tenth date in three months that they've done this on. Yeah, and they. But I feel. <laughs> I I hope they. I hope they stay friends. I, uh, I hope the two girls do. Juan, did you enjoy Spider Man's appearance here? Would you consider it spine tingling? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Yes, but I enjoyed it. Uh, I like. Uh, I liked when. They want. They want to try to talk to him, and I like it. Also, they they spider on names Simon and Garfunkel. So yes, yes. Uh, to put a little bit of uh, what people were listening to at the time. So uh, Spider Man's got a lot of sass back then. He so he's 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 uh, not out as Peter Parker, right? So he's he will he'll beat up criminals and take pictures of the criminals and then sell them to the newspaper for money. 
So not only does he defeat these bank robbers, but he webs them up and then he puts them in front of a Against, giant yes, of his own Spider-Man. face. <laughs> takes a picture of it, which you have yeah. to love. Like that's some swagger, man. There's some work. He, yeah, he works a lot. He puts <laughs> a lot of work in what he's doing. He's like, I have a lot of stuff to do. I, I cannot join you guys. Like, look, oh, I had enough. I had to do all these pictures, take these things. No, thanks. I don't want to go with you, kids. I am late oh, for a tarantula convention, he says. Yeah. <laughs> Um, when we get back to when we get back to uh, the school, Jean has rejoined the X Men and she's redesigned them costumes. She brought them little cases full of something new, and uh, the X Men, of course, are very happy to see her. Although things remain awkward between she and Scott, but the mimic has followed her there, uh, and uh, Professor X immediately sees someone who might help him. Now, the mimic's powers are activated when he's close to other people with superpowers, not just mutants, but anyone. And we see him immediately kind of rejoining, uh, or, or excuse me, re- reforming his his original X-Men powers. So his feet go re- grow really big in his sandals, his wings sprout out his back once he's around Angel again. Everything is uh, everything is just ready there. But if he gets too far away, they go away. Uh, uh, Mike, are you familiar with the Mimic as a character? Are you a fan of him? I'm uh, not, I can't say I'm a fan of the Mimic, but I am intrigued by him. Uh, because he does seem to straddle the line between like, you know, being an ally and being an opponent. And, um, you know, he's not a mutant, right? He's just kind of, what is his, how did he get this way? So back then they said it was the result of experiments by his dad, but in the current comics, he has been revealed to be a mutant. So he's been a mutant the whole time. There's just times when they say he's not, (laughs) you got to go with the most recent continuity, right? Right, right, right. Mm Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite facts, I'll throw this out here really quickly, although my longtime listeners will have heard this. In X-Men number eight, the original X-Men traveled to the future. This this is in Brian Michael Bendis's all new X-Men series. And the angel goes through a space device that removes his wings and gives him fire wings. And in order to send them back to the past, they have to take his fire wings away. And what they do is they find the mimic and they cut off his wings and graft yeah. them onto Angel's back. And then he goes back in the We're past Mimic. with, with Mimic's wings on his back. <laughs> so then when Angel eventually meets Mimic, Mimic is mimicking his own wings. Because <laughs> in the future, ah. they're, they're, they're Angel's wings uh, from the Mimic. It's, it's, a, it's a bizarre little kind of time paradox. <laughs> that so sounds crazy. like the craziest body horror scene I have ever heard. <laughs> oh my God. Why would you so give crazy. away fire wings? That's cool as hell. Well, you know, <laughs> the space time the space-time continuum was going to collapse on itself unless he went back to the past to live all the history that he would have missed, right? Know, he was kind of forced that- into it. Right. Because Beast is an asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh so uh, the puppet master takes over the mimic's form and has him start to battle. So we now go back to the beginning of the issue where the X-Men are fighting the Mimic. And we realize that the Puppet Master has been influencing Mimic's actions uh, throughout all of this. And he's kind of intensifying the fight now. Uh, When we get to kind of pages 15 and 16, we see the X-Men trying on their new uniforms for the first time. Uh, Did you guys have thoughts on their reactions to their uniforms? I'm a big fan of focusing on the costumes and the costume designs and the costume changes and stuff. Um, I am intrigued by the, by Jean's Kirby style hat, like um, as well as like Wanda's early Scarlet Witch look. 
Um, you know, these costumes aren't that much different from the older, the the original versions, but uh, I love the color scheme. It's the whole like Batgirl color scheme, like the whole yellow and black, or I think, I don't know if these are supposed to be blue or black with like shines that shine blue or blue costumes with black. It's uh, it's blue and gold, right? X-Men blue, X-Men oh, gold. Oh, blue and gold, right. And the, but the first one was, the first iteration, were, were they black? No, there was like a, was like a yellow blue. and blue scheme, yeah. Okay. Uh, Juan, do you enjoy designing new costumes? Uh, yeah, it's fun. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, for, uh, for example, for the Spine Tingle and Spider-Man that uh, we're doing, we're creating a new foe. So, uh, and it has different looks. It's fun to to do it. But to do on a classic costume, to to change a little bit thing, things right there and here and there, it's fun to, yeah, it's always fun to to change the costumes to do it your way so who who's one of your favorite characters that you've got to create uh, uh well, let me see uh i well uh, it was for comic it was for maybe colder comic the 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 bad guy it's kind of like the joker mixed with a uh, uh, marty mcfly george mcfly and some other guy i mixed a little bit of those and came out with a with bad guy this called uh, Nimble Jack that is also it crawls like Spider-Man and things like that. Uh, so that that was fun to create. But it, the costume wasn't that that great. But the, the, the Joker and the actions. The Joker mixed with Marty McFly. Now I have to go No back with George it. McFly with his father. <laughs> because Marty McFly is, is too cool for it. Uh, no, uh, it's George McFly. George McFly, uh, uh, the Joker, and also the guy from Cabaret, like uh, the movie Cabaret. Uh, I don't know. It was a weird mix. But, oh, the, uh, uh, yeah, like it's always the, fun to do. Like the MC uh, from, from Cabaret. The, uh, yeah. Oh, fascinating. Uh, fascinating. Yeah. That's great. That's uh, mm -hmm. we, we cover a lot of queer history on the podcast. Uh, the, the actor who played him... Um, is uh -huh. the father of Jennifer Grey from the Dirty Dancing movies. Uh, ah, I didn't know. But, but he's a gay closeted actor from back then, uh, Joel Grey. Uh, yeah, I love uh -huh. that film. That's great, actually. Um, nice. So as we get onto page 16, we see things resolving from where they were. So the mimic has triumphed over them in the training exercise. Professor X has appointed him the deputy leader. Cyclops is doubting himself, so he's kind of stepped down. And uh, and the mimic is stepping up, which is a really abrupt change. He's the brand new character, but he's kind of the most powerful, also the most arrogant, not really the team player here type. Uh, do you guys think Professor X made a good judgment call, making him the deputy leader of the team? I want to say I think he saw the arrogance in himself in Mimic and shows that based on that. I'm sorry, I had to do one more dig. Can I say one thing also? I forgot to say it earlier, but it's about sure. his wheelchair. Yeah. Okay. So on this page, you see um, Mimic pushing him in. Um, and I've always thought that this wheelchair looked really weird. So before this recording, I did a little bit of research on the history of wheelchairs. And this was uh -huh. 1966. He would have had a wheelchair that's really similar to the wheelchairs we have now. The wheelchair he has in the comics is a wheelchair that was used for 12 years in 1900 
1912 before a different kind of wheelchair is made. So I just think that's really odd. There are no handles on the back. And I've always noticed that, that when people push them around, they have to like hold the sides of the back. Yeah, yeah. And it's really, really impractical to move because it was when people <laughs> with disabilities didn't really move that much. And I think that's so awful. Why didn't you just do a normal wheelchair? I think it's so weird. But I also think it's kind of part of his like whole like, oh, no, I'm disabled. I'm, I'm, you know. I'm an invalid because he uses that word to describe Angel and this. So like, I think it's kind of a depowering thing. Like he wants to look as weak as possible or something, or they want him to look as weak as possible, but he would have more ability to move around than he does in that wheelchair. It's just very odd to me. I'm sorry. I had to point that out. It's like an old wicker wooden chair. And sometimes there's the four wheels underneath, but sometimes there'll be a fifth wheel Kind of in the back between the back and we we talked about yep. that before we wondered if that was like an old style that's yeah fascinating, so everyone. i'm i'm looking at that wheelchair right now it's it's right after they started creating wire spokes in the wheels instead of just like a round like solid round wheel and it is it is an old chair like they did not make those after like 1912 and they started making the first power wheelchairs, which is like the wheelchair I use with a joystick that you that has a motor on it um, in 1933. So he would have had access to a lot more technology than they're making it look like. He would have had a lot more mobility than they make it seem. And I don't know if that's based on the fact that there weren't a lot of disabled people around back then because a lot of them were institutionalized or if it's for another reason, maybe they just didn't know very many people with disabilities, but it seems just very odd and out of place. This is, a, this is a man who designs robots and owns a fleet of helicopters. He could- yeah, like, why, didn't, why didn't they just attach a motor? It wouldn't even, and that's, okay, one more thing, I'm sorry, then I'll stop, but this chair also wouldn't really work very well with a motor because they started making the motors in the early 1900s and uh, the wheels don't have traction. So it was actually dangerous at first until they started doing rubber wheels because you would just never stop. (laughs) If Hmm. the motor started, you would have a really hard time stopping yourself. So they stopped making it for a while until they did rubber wheels. So it wouldn't even, it wouldn't even like work. Like he is so behind for no reason other than to make him look like he's less able than he is. Anyway. I think from from the artist's point of view, I think he wanted to make like a fancy, uh, like because uh, he lives like in a mansion, and yeah. the mansion is old, so maybe the wheelchair was there, <laughs> even an old mansion, an old yeah. wheelchair, and it looks like an old chair. So maybe the artist wanted to like make it like a fancy and make it old on purpose. I, and I, I actually pictured that like, what if it was just in the basement? Of the mansion, and he was like, "Oh, yeah. it's a wheelchair, cool!" And he just like brought it upstairs and just started using it. But I don't know; it's, he's it's got just a, he's, very odd. He's got a lot of self hatred, like on a psychological level. You wonder if there's like, uh, like maybe he's punishing himself somehow by using archaic technology to to treat his disability. I don't know. It's a strange. It's a strange thing to consider. I uh, yeah. I love that you did that research. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. You're welcome. I was wrong though. The first electric wheelchair was in 1916, not 1933. So it was even worse than I thought. Sorry. 
No, no, thank you for bringing that up. Don't apologize. Okay, so Professor X has determined that uh, that the puppet master has been controlling the mimic. He's used his telepathy, sussed things out. So he sends the X-Men after the puppet master in one of his many, many, many helicopters, which he bought on bulk at Costco, we, we think, because there's always a helicopter around and they're always different colors. Uh, but he leaves the mimic behind because the mimic's been controlled. Now, Angel stays behind too, of course, because he's still wounded, but he clearly uh, wants to help his team. So he drags himself out of bed and rushes after them in a car so that he can aid them uh, in, in their mission. Uh, now, if I were the puppet master, I would have backup puppets of all of the X-Men ready, right? Like, wouldn't you just have that? It only takes you a few minutes to form a clay figure, uh, but he's only got the one figure yeah. ready. Luckily, he has a crazy robot that the Mad Thinker designed. Mad Thinker designs crazy robots that can mimic other people's powers, which is uh, uh, something we'll see in a few issues when we meet the super adaptoid. Uh, but he's got a he's got a big orange clunky looking robot called the Defender that's that's just ready at the base. Uh, Mike, are you willing to talk to us about these pages uh, 17 through 19 as the X-Men are, are arriving at the Puppet Master's property and battling this Defender robot? Sure. Um, let's see. So, yeah, you know, it looks like Professor X is telling Angel to uh, to hang back. But um, it, it's funny how they try to, like, give Angel things to do because he's got such a passive power with the wings. So they're, you know, they try to amplify his character by, you know, making him more heroic or, you know, compensating by dodging things really great. Um, but, in you know, <clears throat> as he's following his team, yeah, there's a lot of reaction from the puppet master. And I don't think I, I want to push back on your statement on that. It's it would take him only a few minutes to create another um, backup puppet, because I don't know if you've ever tried to sculpt, but it takes hours. So I'm not really sure, <laughs> like, you know, Fair. the Fair. feasibility of sculpting all five X-Men before they get there. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a big fight, you know, they the the Cyclops gets to show off how his power doesn't work and um, the robot turns things around on them and, you know, um, blasts Cyclops back. Beast tries something that doesn't work very well. Marvel Girl, of course, can't do anything. So, you know, she's not allowed to. Um, so she can't move them. Iceman tries to do his ice, um, ice uh, capturing shell thing. But uh, this mimicking robot, um, I guess everything mimics in this. In this issue uh, turns his powers against them and and pelts them with with snowballs and Gene and Iceman go to dodge that attack um, and you know Cyclops comes in and he always ends up saving the day with his optic blasts you know because they're concussive force and he's a man and he's masculine and that's why he gets to to uh, do something the others can't and he's the leader. Um, I always found that trope like super common in reading these these old comics. And, um, you know, and then you've got Angel coming in and, you know, he's uh, luckily he hung back because he takes the uh, puppet master by surprise. And um, he does a really heroic thing by breaking his doll and that, and then he passes out. And, um, and that's how um, people, he gets to save the X-Men and uh, page 19 ends with the mimic having like some emotional issues and, you know, doubting himself after, because I guess now he's, he's come off of uh, being mind controlled. And the first thoughts that come to his head are all of his uh, personal insecurities and doubts, I guess. So um, I, I'm hearing you on 
that whole thing about him being bipolar in this, this time. I, I didn't know that until you said that. So, but this, this last panel makes a lot of sense of why he's so reactive and really just, he's not even focusing on anything around him. He's just internalizing this, this monologue that he's having. Puppet Master is holding the the image uh, or the this the 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 doll of Mimic in the air. Now we have Cyclops who could blast it away, Iceman who could knock it away, Beast who could jump in, Gene who could knock it out of his hands with telekinesis, but Angel saves the day by grabbing it from behind, <laughs> which is the least effective way of saving the day. But I'm glad Angel got a moment in this issue, even though he's wounded. Uh, and then uh, to read uh, to read the Mimic's kind of thought bubble in the very final panel of the book. He says, uh, condemned, yes, I am condemned. I'm sentenced forever to live only in the shadow of other men's powers, other men's abilities. Nothing is truly mine. Is there any true home on earth in the universe for the being that men call the mimic, which is this very Shakespearean ending as he shakes his fists at the sky, right? Like <laughs> lots, of, uh, lots of deep character stuff. Uh, 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 Juan, what were some of your thoughts on these these action sequences in the book? I know they're really dominated by words, but were there parts that you really enjoyed? Uh, what I enjoyed the most is that Iceman uh, calls the android uh, that he about he talks about Ringo Starr that it was actually 1966, so the Beatlemania was like on the top of the Beatlemania. So he mentions Simon and Garfunkel, then Ringo Starr, so. I guess Roy uh, was a really music fan. Uh, <laughs> we get some to be pop culture references. Kid, yeah. Yes, pop culture references was awesome. Uh, <laughs> and also, I just finished watching the Get Back uh, documentary, so uh, I'm like an old Beatle right now. So it was fun seeing that. <laughs> and sure. but the, yeah, the fight is is, is fun. The, uh, I I can't I can't. Uh, it's fun to, it's weird to see all the panels are the same, like six panels, six panels, almost every part in, in every action. And this have the same size and everything. It like bugs me a, a little bit. I want to like change it, uh, uh, redrew the, the whole issue in a different way to see how, how, it, how it would look like right now. It will, it will be weird. Uh, but uh, I, I like the, the fight scene. It's fun. Yeah, it is a little uh, formula. Yeah. It's six or seven panels every page. They're all the same yes. size. Yeah, yeah. And I really like that uh, 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 he's being beaten by taking off his his, doll, his dolls. It's like you can't play with your dolls anymore. Like he <laughs> <laughs> say, "I'm not defeating you. I'm defeating your toys." So it's, he's the sad old man with the dolls. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I like I like I like that. It, it would be nice to see him like cry or something like that at the end to be without a doll and we finished the issue there along we have with a, no clay there are so many issues of the fantastic four particularly in the first hundred where he'll 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 create a doll of the hulk or spider-man and he makes them fight the fantastic four so it's just his stick over and over and over again he's a great villain i love him and, and what about if he creates his own doll like and he's grabbing himself and, and how maybe, very how very <laughs> meta <laughs> yes, and he will go move his own finger, and maybe uh, the doll will dominate him in the end. And, well, and the fact that it's radioactive <laughs> way that he's working with is just so fucking ridiculous. It's it's my favorite. I love it so much. <laughs> maybe he dies like 
after a couple of years of using the, the radioactive clay and then uh, he can't use it anymore and there are some there him. are some storylines where the clay makes him sick and also where he runs out ah. of clay and tries to get more <laughs> nice uh in in the current fantastic four series the thing is married to alicia masters who also has some radioactive clay and she's a sculptress and so you see her using it in the modern fantastic four books a little bit it's uh it's an interesting kind of subplot in the books where she tries to control people to get particular results uh uh i'm sorry one go ahead no 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 nice nice yeah yeah it's fun uh gabriella and uh and mike did you guys have thoughts about uh, the puppet master as a villain in this issue did you enjoy him There's kind of eh, looks. <laughs> I, I. Oh, I'm sorry. You're muted, Mike. You're muted. Do you want to go ahead first? You go ahead since you're not muted. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. He's probably the creepiest looking comic book character I've seen in a really long time. Like, just his eyebrows are so animated and his eyes are so beady. It's just, I don't know. There's something that's very creepy about him to me. Like. I don't know. I think I would like to read more about him. That's just really interesting to me. But I also just want to say I love how <clears throat> I studied film in college and it was right when superheroes were starting to become popular. I started in college in 2009. So it was right after Iron Man came out and people were starting to take superhero movies more seriously and talk about them in like academic spaces. And um. I always find it really interesting that radioactivity was often used as like an accelerant for powers because it was when it was kind of new to us. And so we didn't know what it would do. But like my fiance and I are rewatching all the Spider-Man movies before the new one comes out. And I keep thinking like, man, if you were bitten by a radioactive spider, like go to the hospital, dude. Like what? (laughs) And like all I can think is like... Man, if he has radioactive clay just sitting in his basement like all the time, like, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> like that doesn't sound good. That sounds really bad. Like, I'm worried about him. But there's a there's a Fantastic Four villain who fights the Human Torch who's named Asbestos Man. <laughs> oh. And and uh, oh, he no. because because if you wear asbestos, the Human Torch can't hurt you, right? Yeah. And there's a story many years later, decades later, where he gets cancer from the asbestos. And, Whoa. And he's in the hospital, and he's it's a it's kind oh of fantastic. Gosh. I love it. <laughs> uh, Mike, did you like the Puppet Master? So uh, I'm not a fan of the Puppet Master. I have <laughs> issues with campy villains like this with impractical powers like you know needing to sculpt something um before a battle (laughs) so um to me it's just it's a little ridiculous i appreciate it for its time it's hilarious uh reading about it but if he was to pop up now i would i i don't know like how i would even make him relevant or useful in um a practical setting you know, I would be like, if you, I, if I was to hire him as a, a henchman, I'd be like, all right, so you got to sculpt a bunch of things. I'll give you a two week deadline to finish up uh, those, those sculpts. And, uh, you know, then we can, uh, you know, I'll just give him a long lead time. But other, other than that, I just don't think I could depend on him in a firefight. I, uh, I love a good campy villain from time to time, but I agree. Some of them are, are pretty ridiculous. Now, as we conclude, 
let me say I'm a huge fan of each of yours. Gabriella, your blog is wonderful. And we've become friends in the last few weeks. And I think Thank you're you. incredible. Uh, Mike, I love your art. And this is our first time meeting. But I, I Mike has a series, you guys, he does excerpts. He has a series where he's creating uh, uh, images of obscure X-Men characters regularly. And I have to go, wait, who is that? Like, where are they from? And I'm like the walking encyclopedia of X-Men. I, I, I adore your work. And uh, Juan, I've always been a fan of your work, but after doing this deep review of your work and reading all your stuff together, I think you're just really fucking amazing. I'm so excited for, uh, for Spine Tingling Spider-Man and everything that's coming forward. What an honor to spend the afternoon uh, with each of you. Uh, now, as we're concluding here, feel free to tell people what you guys have coming up, anything you're excited about, uh, and where can people find you online if they'd like to follow your work? Uh, Juan, would you like to go first? Uh, yes. Uh, if you want to follow me, on, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, uh, J.E. Ferreira. I don't know. Just put my name. I think it appears. And I respond to fans all the time and talk with them. It's fun. Uh, and I'm just finishing my contract with Marvel with this uh, comic. I have an exclusivity contract and it's finishing. So I'll be open to do to be on other companies at the same time. Uh, I have some offers from, from Marvel. So I don't know, this comes out in February. So maybe um, me in the future or now, then, I don't know when, we'll know <laughs> what I'll be working on. Uh, uh, maybe for Marvel or DC or I don't know any other company, but uh, read Spine Tingling Spider Man. That it's it's really fun to do. You put and a lot I of heart. You, you put a lot of heart and skill and uh, and thought into your work. Clearly, I'm really excited to see uh, whatever you have coming forward. Uh, Mike, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, you can mostly find me. I'm really just on Instagram. I gave up Facebook and I'm sometimes on Twitter, but on Instagram, you can find me at uh, excerpts. That's X underscore C E R P as in Peter and T as in Tom S. Uh, it's the worst handle ever, <laughs> but um, <laughs> my, my page is called X-Men Our Family. And um, as Chad mentioned earlier, um, I started that project at the beginning of the pandemic when we had to um, start quarantining. And uh, I realized that it was uh, something that I could do for as a long-term thing. And um, I noticed that, you know, there was, uh, you know, this whole phenomenon with like X-Men podcasts um, that have popped up during the pandemic, I think it's incredible. Um, Mutant Musings podcast actually was the first podcast to feature um, one of the pieces, one of my pieces from DeviantArt, which was my first um, X-Men family piece, which was the, um, the Summers family. And so after that, I was just like, let me just try to evolve this. And so now what the project is, it's about me mapping out every um, X-Men, X-character family relationship. And I know that X-Men's about found family, but I'm super intrigued in, you know, like uh, fam familiar, familial connections and not just in the, in the traditional sense of like, you're my dad or he's my, my, my son or whatever, but it's more like, how are you connected through genetics? You could be a clone, you could be um, someone from the future, from an alternate universe, and that still counts as like, you know, um, their, their family, quote unquote, members um, that connects them and, and shows their relationship between each other. So that's that project. Um, I try to update that page twice a week uh, if I can. Things are getting a little busier now that things are opening up and I work in entertainment, so I can't talk about a lot of the things that I do, but it takes up a lot of my time. 
Um, so I have less time to do that. But I can talk about, I also um, illustrate for children's books, mostly tween books. And I'm doing a series right now uh, called the Z Files um, for Ingram Publishing. And um, the second, I just finished up a, a second book. So that'll be coming out in, in a few weeks. Those are available at exclusively at Target only. Um, and I'm also starting a new book series with Ingram uh, for another tween property, which I can't talk about yet because we we're just starting. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's where you can find me. I, uh, for, for both of you, I love hearing people who get to find a way to professionally do uh, what they love, right? Like I get paid to draw or I get paid to write. It's always wonderful to hear uh, these types of stories. Uh, Gabriela, where can people find you? Yeah, um, I am on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I have a blog called The Girl Who Sits, and that's also the names of my Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um and then I am also hopefully about to start a YouTube channel. Uh, maybe by the time this video or this podcast comes out, I'm not really sure. Um, and uh, I am on Twitch on Mondays and Thursdays playing games and talking about disability justice. So um, yeah, I'd love to have you join me. That'd be cool. My social media is private, but you can find Gray Malkin Lane on Twitter at Gray Malkin P, P like podcast, or just Gray Malkin Lane on Instagram. I'm posting content from these original issues uh, regularly. Feel free to message anytime. Uh, next week, we come back with X-Men number 28. Uh, before I announce our guest star, let me hear just your initial thoughts on the cover super quickly. The We get the first appearance of the Banshee next time. Nice. Uh, any thoughts on the uh, on the cover of next issue? I can't believe Banshee used to look like that. I yeah, know. He's, he's crazy looking. And he's hot now. it's very ghostly it's very scary with him it's almost similar to this uh to the cover of this issue where all the x-men are kind of cowering as the villain soars in right yeah uh, next next issue we are next episode we are joined by the wonderful artist uh, Shauna Zaxi uh, uh, and I'm super excited uh, and again what an honor to be able to interview these incredible professionals and artists uh, I, I feel uh, out of my league and so excited to be here so uh, Gabriella thank you and Mike thank you for sharing your afternoon with us uh, Juan in particular thank you thank you for for giving us the 90 minutes of your time we are so thrilled to uh, get to know you better and to get to know your work uh, any final thoughts from any of you before we conclude uh okay uh, thanks for inviting me it was fun it was uh, i wish I, I had more i wish i i, I knew more about the x-men because i suck at my x-men <laughs> it's not very good when i was growing up we didn't have marvel comics uh, in my country we had dc comics only so i'm not i i didn't read that many marvel comics but but i have to change that so this made me made me want to go back and read more but i, I need to buy the 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 physical copies. Yeah, we've got old, yeah, we got old trades, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna buy those. It's, it's way better than than for me at least to see it on the cell phone and stuff like that. So I tell everyone thanks for on, having me. I tell everyone coming on, you don't have to be an X-Men fan to be on the podcast. So thank you for being <laughs> willing to come on as we talk about this deep continuity, uh, uh, even though okay, you're, cool. you're not super familiar. Uh, so thank you so much, everybody. Uh, with that, we'll uh, we'll wrap up and we'll see you guys uh, next time on Grey Malkin Lane. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.